How many churches have we talked about thus far? Three. Okay. How many churches are in Revelation? Seven. All right. We got that covered. Very good. Uh, <laughs> um, if you miss it online, that's why you should be here. All right. That's, that's important to be in God's house. Um, let me just go ahead and jump into the, the next church and I'll, I'll talk more about compromise. But uh, tonight we're transitioning into Thyatira. And if you want to put a label on this church, it is this. It's the corrupt church. Now, it's again, it's a very important lesson, very deep lesson. I want to read you something that I came across uh, in study for this lesson. 20 years after King James I of England received the first Bibles he commissioned to be translated into English, which is known as the King James translation of the Bible, his successor, Charles I, commissioned 1,000... Good to see you, Jojo. Uh, 1,000 more copies to be printed. Needless to say... He was not pleased with the result. As a matter of fact, he was so displeased that he fined the publisher a year's wages and took away his printing license. The publisher had only left one word out of the entire manuscript, and he had fined this guy a whole year's wages. In our Bibles, in Exodus chapter 20, 14, it's only five, word, five words long, and it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But the word that King Charles' publisher left out was the word not. So the Bible said, thou shalt commit adultery. Yes, that's a big oops. Definitely a big oops. So in 1631, that edition, um, it read, thou shalt commit adultery. Uh, it, it was known as the wicked Bible or the sinner's Bible. Most all copies of it were confiscated and ordered to be burned. Now, today, most people don't need a verse to tell them to sin. That's the truth. You know, it was, it was a human error. And I, don't think, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. It was a human error. It messed up. But most people today do not need permission to sin, do they? No. We sin. Uh, obviously, Cadence had a lot of sin. She was wrapped up in her sin tonight. She got out of it, but we need to do like ropes next week, okay? See if she gets out of that. Chains, see if she gets out of that. Exactly. See if she's as cocky. But here's the, here's the reality. Listen to me. This is very important. It sets the stage for tonight. Again, most people are going to sin regardless of what anything or anyone else tells them. And people have not needed a Bible misprint that commanded adultery to follow them and lead them in immoral behavior in life of fornication or whatever. And there are many statistics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to skip over some of these, but there are many statistics out there uh, that we have from Christian uh, statisticians that, that talk about that. Uh, let me just read one that quickly. Back in 2003, uh, in the George Barna Pulse, um, six out of ten Americans believe that it was morally acceptable to live together instead of getting married. And again, people might think that's not that big of a deal. But it goes contrary to God's Word. And the, the important thing is, and I'm not trying to just blast people if they're living a way that's contrary to God's Word. What I'm trying to do is teach people what God's Word says and help us understand what the truth is. I think it was said one of the qualities of a church should be known for truthfulness. or That's what Mia was thinking. It's like, I think they should be known for truthfulness, but I'm not really sure. I know, I'm just kidding. The church should be known for truthfulness, and we cannot be ashamed to preach the truth of God's Word, even 
though it might not be accepting of our culture. Again, there are things in our culture that the culture says is okay, but God's Word says different. I'm not going to ask you for um, you know, uh, illustrations tonight, but all of us know this, that there are things in our life that we do that we know are probably wrong, or we've done that we know are wrong, right? Anybody with me? Yes. Again, I'm not going to ask for illustrations tonight. We're not going to do that. But we know that. Why do we do it? Let me just ask that. Brother Mike, if you know that something is wrong, why have you done it? Because it's easier. Why else? Let's just ask that question quickly. Je- or Julie? Because you're human. Because you're human. Okay. Sin nature. What else? Marcus, I know you just want to answer. Because you think it's going to make you happy. Think it's going to make you happy? Yeah. We, we know things are wrong, and yet we choose to do it. It's easier. It makes us, we think it's going to make us happy. And sometimes, I'm just putting myself out there. Sometimes we just flat out don't care, right? We flat out don't care. We know it's wrong, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway because it's me. It's my life. It's whatever I want to do that's going to make me happy. But again, that's why the church, and that's why I preach hard and I teach hard sometimes because I want us to understand what the truth is. Because the only truth that we will receive is not on Fox News or CNN or anything in between. The only truth that we will really see that we need for our life is found right here in God's Word. This is the truth that we need. We need God's truth. And if nearly half of Americans back in 2003 believe it's okay to live together outside of the bonds of marriage or uh, view pornography or have homosexual tendencies, what do you think is in the church? Again, it's no wonder our society is in the condition it's in. It's no wonder that families are messed up. Because we do not take the truth of God's Word seriously. And that's what it comes down to. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit, I guess, more amped up right now in this lesson because this is what John is talking about and addressing here. This church had some good qualities, and we're going to hit this in just a second. But they were not known for their good qualities. They were known for their bad qualities. They were known because of sin that was in the church. Now, how many understand that there are certain names that just bring about a bad connotation. Uh, you know, you typically don't name your, your child um, Hitler. Anybody have a Hitler in your, your family? No. Why don't you name your child Hitler or Benedict Arnold? I mean, let's just throw those two out there. Why? What? Yeah, <laughs> Fred's going to go crazy. <laughs> That is true. Why, why else? Why else? Why don't you name your, your child or someone in your family, you know, Hitler or Benedict Arnold? Bad people. But just because you name them that, does that mean they're going to be bad? No, it's, it's I know, I, the point I'm making, it's the association, right? You associate that name with something bad or something evil that happened. Now, what initially comes to your mind when you hear the name Jezebel? Remember, we're in church, okay? Very friendly lady. Very, he's being sarcastic. I'm rubbing off on him. Very friendly lady when he hears Jezebel. Uh, some of you are like, Pastor, I could tell you, but uh, there's too many kids in here. Um, I'm going to say this quickly, and I say this because, you know, Ryan mentioned something about cats earlier. Um, but I heard it said that we name our sons David and Paul. We name our daughters Mary and Rachel. We name our dogs Goliath and Nero, and we name our cats Jezebel. Uh, take that for whatever you want. 
I read that somewhere. I just, th- there it is. Um, and anyway. <laughs> She's okay. She's tired. She's lacking sleep, all right? There are a lot of things that a church can be named for. We, we mentioned some qualities earlier. But, but the name Jezebel for a church is not a compliment. If you had a church that was known as a Jezebel church, if there's a church in our community, you're like, that's a Jezebel church. You probably wouldn't think, man, I want to go there. Like, I want to join that church. I want to be a member of that church. No, you want to stay as far away. Why are you laughing, Michael? Uh, You want to stay as far away as you can. I want you to listen to this. This is important. Doctrinal and theological compromise is always a danger to the health, vitality, and survival of any church. Once compromises happen in a church, once sin is allowed in, listen, it will spread out of control, sucking the life out of every living organism that it touches. And this church at Thyatira, again, smallest of the seven cities, insignificant really, but the most is written about this. And quickly, a couple quick facts about Thyatira, then we'll get into those five five key aspects. Thyatira was an expendable military outpost some 40 miles southeast of Pergamos. It was only important through its commerce of wool, linen, leatherwork, bronze, and especially purple dye. Um, How many know of a person in the Bible that was known for selling purple? Anybody know what her name was? Violet? Lydia. Lydia. Good job. Point for you. Lydia, she was the seller of purple. Uh, Where was that found, Violet? What book? That's a tough question. She's trying to look. She was just randomly looking for a Bible and she found it. I think she can do it. She probably can. I'll give you a hint. It's the book I'm in on Sunday. Starts with an A, ends with a K. Cadence? Axe. All right. She's like, I got that one. Paradise works for me. All right. Good job. It's not. She learned how to read me. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Um, anyway, uh, Lydia, the seller of purple, was from the city of Thyatira, and she was probably very instrumental in many people coming to Christ. Uh, Paul had started the church, uh, helped start the church there, was found in Acts chapter 16. But uh, quickly, again, let me kind of run through this. Thyatira had an extensive network of trade guilds or what we would know as labor unions, that dominated daily and civic life. These guilds were somewhat similar to our trade unions 15, 20, 25 years ago. It was very difficult for the blue-collar tradesmen and women to make a living unless they were part of one of these guilds. However, they differed from our trade unions today in that they were linked with the worship of other gods. Imagine being part of a trade union today or whatever, and it's part of a worship of another god. That's what was going on in Thyatira. Each guild had its particular guardian god, and as a member, you would be expected to attend all its functions and participate in its activities, which included offerings, feasts, and often immoral behavior. That was part of the lifestyle in Thyatira. Apollo, the sun god, and Diana, the fertility goddess, were the more significant deities. The members of the church of Thyatira were torn, listen, between making a living on the one hand, which is important, which meant having to be part of these guilds, but on the other hand, staying faithful to Christ. 
So it's one of those things like, what do I do? I have to make a living, so I have to work. Do I be part of this trade guild and know that I'm probably going to fall into this immoral lifestyle, this behavior, or do I stay faithful to Christ? Stay faithful to Christ might mean leaving that, doing something different. That's, honestly, that's a tough situation to be in. Because you might not get as good of a work, you might not get as good of a pay if you leave those things. Now God wants us to, to, to be pure where we are planted, and there's some very important things that we see. Let's just jump into it. First of all, the characteristics of Christ in verse number 18. Look, look at this. And unto the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, which hath the eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. So I'm going to write this down. It's has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze or brass. Has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze or brass. Now, first off, Christ is noted here as the Son of God. This is a title that is found only here in Revelation. It's very important. And yet again, John, I love what John does here as he writes to these churches. He writes in a way that the culture would understand exactly what he's saying because he is... He is hitting on some aspects of culture. Here's what I mean. He is contrasting culture. Now, these were pagan cities, which means they worshiped false gods. So some of the, the, the connotations that he made, they understood what he was talking about. The, no, the term son of God is significant because it stands in contrast to the pagan god Apollo, who was supposed to be the son of Zeus, who was a god, little g god. Apollo, though, is a piddly, pathetic, pseudo-sun god, while Jesus Christ is the eternal and majestic Son of God. And I love, again, what John does there when he says that, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just the Son of Zeus. He is the Son of Almighty God, the living God. And as he looks and he makes reference to, "...who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass." His eyes speak of his omniscience. The fact that Jesus sees all that is. He knows everything. Nothing escapes his gaze. You know, I kind of made mention of this in a joking way, you know, like, you know, Santa Claus, you know, in a creepy way. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. But Jesus sees everything. He knows everything. He knows every aspect of your life, good and bad. Think about that. And that's the, the reference here, those, those flaming eyes, that his omniscience, that he is all-knowing. Jesus Christ is all-knowing. Nothing escapes his gaze, and you can rest assured that he sees through deception. And there is a lot of deception that happens within the church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. There are a lot of deceptive things that people try to hide and people try to mask, if you will. Again, there are things that might be going on in your life right now that you think no one else in this church knows. Does anyone want to take the mic and talk about some of those? I don't think so. (laughs) No, but Jesus knows. And that's what we have to understand. No one might know what you're doing when no one else sees you or when you're sneaking something, even kids. No one might know, but Jesus Christ knows. He sees all. He knows all. Even you, Ryan. He sees it. (laughs) But let's continue on. You see, Jesus is all-powerful. He's a brilliant judge. But now we see the commendation, the praise to the church because there is praise to this church, even though there's some things that we're going to really hit on in the next few minutes. First of all, it's works, love, faith, service, and patient endurance. 
works, love, faith, servants, service, and patient endurance. As he says in verse number 19, I know thy works. Hey, I know what you've done. I know your charity, which is your love. I know your love, your service, your faith, your patience. Uh, and, and the last to be more than the first, that you put people ahead of yourself. So here's what he's saying. I know that there are some good things going on in your church. There are some good, positive qualities that are happening. This was a loving church, a serving church, a faithful church, a growing church. And really, those are four great qualities that any New Testament church should have, right? Loving, faithful, growing, serving. That's what we want. Now, quickly get this. This is what you want to hear. Unlike Ephesus, though, who lost their first love, Thyatira still had their first love. They still loved God, most of them. Ephesus lacked love, while Thyatira, though, lacked truth. And that's important. A healthy church needs both in order to thrive. Now let's get to criticism. And this is where it really gets deep this, uh, this evening. Verse number 20. After Jesus has already talked about the characteristics of himself to John, We've seen the commendation or the praise, and now there's the, the but. Uh, verse 20, notwithstanding or nevertheless. Hold on right there, buddy. I got something to tell you. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. You know, it's like when you know, you're talking to someone and they're praising you, and all of a sudden you're just waiting for it. You're waiting for the, but I got to talk to you about this. I've had that many times over as a pastor, you know, where, you know, people try to praise you for something and all of a sudden I'm just, I'm waiting for it. Okay, now I really want to talk to you about this. <laughs> and that's kind of what's going on here. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So, if you want to write this down in your notes there, you tolerate, suffers means tolerate, you tolerate Jezebel, who is a false prophetess who led you into idolatry and sexual immorality. You tolerate Jezebel, a false prophetess who led you into idolatry and sexual immorality. Again, the church was growing. Yes, but they were being misled. You see, Pergamos was the compromising church, but... Thyatira had allowed compromise to come in their doors. And listen to this. This is important. They adopted the doctrine of tolerance. They adopted the doctrine of tolerance. Tolerance is a big thing in our society, isn't it? We have to be tolerant, right? At least that's what we're called to be. We are called to be tolerant no matter what people are doing. And that's what's going on here in Thyatira. Now quickly... Here's how one preacher put it. He said, if the church married the world in Pergamos, because remember, Pergamos mean married, and they were married to the world. They were trying to be as like, just as much like the world as they were to Christ, but you can't do that. You can't be married to the world and married to Christ at the same time and expect it to work out. So if, if the church of Pergamos was married to the world, Thyatira was celebrating anniversaries. If compromise had begun in Pergamos, it had taken over in Thyatira. And this letter shows the depth of sin that compromise ultimately leads to. Full-scale idolatry, full-scale immorality, and worst of all, tolerance of both. Tolerance of idolatry, tolerance of immorality. And that was going on here. That it was okay. It's okay to live a sexually immoral life. It's not that big of a deal. Um, Pretty sure God's Word says different. It's okay to bow down to something other than Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
pretty sure the Bible says different. You see, this church tolerated sin. The church that absorbed sin absorbed error and lived happily ever after with it. This is the kind of church that is common today and has been all through the centuries, but completely inconsistent with the demands that Jesus Christ has for His church. Now, first of all, it's important to note, and I, I don't know if I have this in your note or not, notes or not, but it's important to guard against a personality cult. Guard against a personality cult. Because Jesus says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against the you tolerate this woman, Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess. You, pro- you tolerate this woman. Now, she was smart. She was influential in personality and power and in speech. But I want you to understand something about, you know, we've been talking a lot about the gospel on Sunday mornings. The gospel does not need to be added to or taken away. Let me say that again. The gospel does not need to be added to or taken away from. It's perfect as it is. She was trying to add to or take away from the gospel, from the message of Jesus Christ. So we need to guard against a personality cult. Even though someone might be, man, you think they are just it. You know, whatever, whatever phrase that you want to use. You know, back in the day it was like, the bee's knees or whatever it was, you know. Um, I, I don't know where I got that from. Probably like leave it to beaver or something. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, she was smart. She was influential. You know, she, she just had that personality about her that, man, you just, you want to be around that person. You know, we know people like that, that you just want to be around those people because of their personality. But you have to be careful because there are some that are leading people astray. Even within a church like this, there are people that might lead people astray. So first of all, guard against the personality cult. Second thing, guard against an authority problem. Here was a self-proclaimed leader. Now, we don't have a lot of details about her, but who said she was a prophetess? Did God say that she was a prophetess or did she say it? She did. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. And you know, the Bible speaks about prophetess. And, and again, it's not necessarily a bad thing when God has put it in order. But someone should have stopped this lady, <laughs> shouldn't they have? But isn't it hard sometimes when they're just, you know, just have that great personality and they just, you know, they, they seem to just have all the, the answers to everything. And like, I mean, you, you listen to them, you're like, man, yeah, exactly. What, whatever you say, I'll just follow. And then you start following basically down into a ditch <laughs> or off a cliff. You see, fear paralyzed good people. There were good people in the church that decided to do nothing. Now quickly, guard against personality cult, guard against an authority problem, but we should also guard against the theology problem. You see, this false prophet or false prophetess mixed truth with lies. And that's what the world does. That they give us just enough truth to where it, okay, I'm pretty sure they're telling the truth. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just watch the news and you'll understand. They mix just enough truth with a whole bunch of lies and a whole different agenda. And then you're sucked in. You believe everything they say. It's, it's truth because, I mean, I looked up that aspect of it, and yeah, it, it, it is true. <laughs> but our world is telling us, no, no, listen to this, this is important. Isn't our world today telling us what matters and who matters? Aren't they? Yes. And I'm not against some of the things that they're saying. But they're telling us what matters. They are telling us who matters, whose life matters. But here's what matters. Doctrine matters. 
Truth matters. Theology matters. Why don't we have shirts that say that? Doctrine matters. I'm not against black people or Asian people or white people or whatever color you are. I'm not against that. But the truth is, the world is pushing an agenda and saying that, no, only this group of people matters. But God says, no, everyone matters in my eyes. And what matters the most is that you understand doctrine. You understand truth. You understand theology. But Mike, can you turn the air down just a little bit or turn it on or something? You don't mind? I know I'm getting hot. They were tolerant of wicked lifestyles of their culture. They were accepting of wrong and sinful behaviors. Now listen, Christ has not called us to tolerance, has He? If you don't know that, He hasn't. Christ has not called us to tolerance. Now listen, we are supposed to, thank you, we are supposed to love the sinner but hate the sin. Now there are some churches today that have taken on to love the sinner and the sin. But that's wrong. Some have taken hate the sin and they can't stand the sinner even worse. That's wrong too. But tolerance, listen, is the world's answer. You know what God's answer to this is? Biblical discipline. What should have happened is this lady should have been disciplined because she was flat out wrong. And Jezebel was leading people into fornication. And this prophetess was trying to replace God's word as the final authority with some cheap substitute. Now sadly, now I want you to listen to this. This is important. This letter was written at the end of the first century. By the end of this second century, the church ceased to be a church. A hundred years later, the church of Thyatira was no more. Why? Because they were corrupt. And they allowed their corruptness to just take over. You see, there have been prominent leaders and preachers even today who say things like sexual promiscuity and immorality really doesn't matter. You know, two people can do whatever they want because it's the flesh and do what the flesh wants. Preachers are saying this. You can't change it. You can't control it. So don't worry about what the flesh does. You know, I'm sure that logic works great. Actually, it doesn't. (laughs) But that's the logic that Jezebel was using in this church. And I don't know if I have this in your notes or not. Maybe I do. But when the church looks more like the world around them than the Christ within them, There's a huge problem. When the church looks more like the world around them than the Christ within them, therein lies the problem. And listen, when a church looks like the world, you have a sick church. When a church acts like the world, you have an impotent church. When a church plays with the world, you have an unfaithful church. (laughs) Just leave that up for a second. And again, it's, it's strong teaching, but man, this is stuff we need to hear, especially in 21st century America, 21st century churches. You know, there are some, honestly, there are some pastors that I know that, that shy away from Revelation. I, I don't want to touch that book. Why? It's so applicable for us today. And even John says in chapter 1, verse 3, that, hey, if you read it, there's blessings that come. And really, we're seeing the blessings because God is trying to say, hey, don't do these things. Be different than these churches. And then we get to the correction. We're almost done. Verse number 21. I'll go this quick and then I'll read the verses. Repent and hold fast what you have until I come. Repent and hold fast what you have until I come. Now twice the word repent is found in these verses. 
Again, repentance means a change of mind which leads to a change in action. So God is going to discipline them, but He wants them to repent first. Hey, verse number 21, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, but what's it say? She didn't repent. (laughs) I gave her a chance to repent. How many parents have ever given your kids a chance to own up and they didn't own up for something? Yes, that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, hey, Kevin, you've done that? You have children? Oh, they, okay, they've done it. Okay. It's like it's a little mixed up. <laughs> uh, uh, but this is what's going on here. Jesus is giving her every chance to come clean, and she's not coming clean. I'm not doing anything wrong. She's living in fornication. She's leading in fornication. Literally, fornication is happening within the church, and it's okay because that's the agenda she's pushing, but she's not coming clean. She's not repenting. Verse number 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. Now, first of all, here's a couple things about God's discipline. I have this in your notes. God's discipline is fair. God is giving her every chance to come clean, right? He's giving her chance and chance to repent, but she didn't. So if discipline comes her way, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? No. Now, I know our world says that. Well, it's God that put me in this mess. Well, no, it's probably you and you're just being blunt, your stupidity, <laughs> You're, maybe sometimes you're a moral lifestyle. But listen, God's discipline is fair. He gives us chance to repent from our evil ways. But she didn't change, and sometimes we don't change. Second thing, God's discipline is full. Verse 22, look what it says. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. What, what, what this is saying when you look at you know, other commentaries and stuff, basically, I'm going to throw her into a bed of sickness. So I'm really, you know, going deep here. I'm really, you know, over-interpreting. But reading between the lines, what John is saying is, I'm going to give her COVID-1. That's worse than 19, because that's the first one. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But he's saying that I'm going to cast her into a, in a bed of sickness, and them that commit adultery with her, all those that are following, you know, her little minions, with her into great tribulation. Except they repent. There's again, again, hey, I'm going to put some sickness upon them. I'm going to allow some bad things to happen unless you come clean. So God's discipline is fair, but it's also full. Thirdly, verse 23. And this is where, again, you think about it, just reading it like, man, that's pretty harsh. But look what already Jesus has tried to get her to t- turn her way, right? What's it say? I will kill her children with death. You're like, man, what? why would Jesus say that? Why would, he, why would he do that? Now, when it's saying kill her children, it's not necessarily referring to her literal kids. It's talking about her followers. So God's discipline is final. We have to understand that. Jezebel and her, her little clan of fools, you know, don't understand what's about to happen to them. You know, they might fool everyone else around them. They might fool a lot of people in the church. But you know who you cannot fool? Jesus Christ. Because remember back in 18, verse 18, where it says his eyes are like the flame of fire? What that means is that omniscience, where he sees everything. So you can fool some, but you can't fool all. And the one you cannot fool is Jesus Christ. So his discipline is final. But verse 24 and 25, are almost done. His discipline is faithful. Look at verse number 24. 
or let me, let me continue on. Uh, and I will give her children death, and the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Verse 24, But unto you I say, unto the rest in Thyatira. Now there were some that weren't following her. And we don't know how many, but there were some that actually did what they're supposed to do. Lived how they're supposed to live. Actually followed Jesus, were faithful to Jesus, loved Jesus, and realized that immorality is wrong no matter how you spin it. Fornication is wrong no matter how you spin it. So unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, those that haven't followed this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. You see, God is faithful in His discipline. You see, there is apparently a small group of people who haven't given in. And what Jesus is telling them and encouraging them is to stay faithful, to persevere. Don't fall in the trap that others have fallen into. You see, holding on to Jesus and the gospel is not easy, especially in a seductive culture like America, right? But it is worth it. And it's like a, it's like a song that I know it's been sung before, and it's like an old, old saying, but when all you have is Jesus, anybody remember the rest of it? Jesus is all you need. That's what it comes down to, people. But you don't know the culture I live in. Yes, I do, because I live in it too. I know what's on the TV, and I know what's on movies and things like that, and I have to guard my heart just as much. I'm not immune to it. I'm not. I struggle just as much as the next person because of that human nature that I have. But the easy thing to do is just to give in. Well, I mean, it's there, so I mean, might as well just watch it, right? Might as well live like that because these people are living like that. I mean, if they're living immoral lifestyles, I might, live, I might as well live an immoral lifestyle. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, kids and teens, I mean, everyone else at school is doing it. I mean, they're having sex outside of marriage, so I might as well do it too. What's the big deal? That's what they're saying. But is that right? No. But isn't it easy to just fall into it? Yes, it is. And that's what so many people have done. And that's, again, that's why I preach hard. That's why I teach hard, because I don't want my kids to fall into that. They very well may. But I don't want you to fall into it. Maybe you already have, but it doesn't mean it's not too late to change, to turn, to repent. It's the same warning. Hey, repent. I'm giving you a chance to come clean. You might have done these things. You might have fallen into some stupidity, but you can repent. You can come clean. You can hold on to Jesus and be faithful to Him even in a seductive culture like America. No matter where you live, whether it's Decatur or Dallas or Austin or wherever, it doesn't matter where you live, you can still hold fast to Jesus. The world says you can't, so might as well join them. But God says you can, so be faithful to Him. So who is our God? Who is our Lord? And then leaves with this final aspect, the challenge, verse 26 to 29. You will receive authority over the nations and the morning star. Look at verse 26 or verse 25. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Those that are doing good, keep doing it. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. I will give authority to those. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of, of a potter. Shall they be broken to shivers? Even as I have received my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the church. That's what John basically closes every letter. If you have an ear and you can hear, then listen to what I'm saying. Look, we should never let go of the gospel. 
To hold on to in this passage that John is saying here is to experience true victory, to be an overcomer. To the overcomer, those who do not get misled by false teaching, God promises two things. First of all, we receive authority of Christ's power and we receive assurance of Christ's presence. We receive authority of Christ's power, the authority over nations, but then assurance of Christ's presence because he says that he will give them the morning star. Who is the morning star? It's Jesus. Now, in the sky, the morning star, Venus, the brightest star in the sky, and the precursor to the new day, but in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, the morning star is identified as Jesus Christ. And the overcomers are therefore promised that they will receive Christ himself. This is the greatest reward of all. Better than some trophy or plaque or whatever. So stay faithful. No matter if everyone else is doing it, if you know that God's word says contrary, you don't do it. You live faithful. Look, stay with the teachings you have in Jesus Christ. And listen, we do not need a better gospel. We do not need a better Jesus. We already have the best of both. And here's the truth, and I close, and we'll be done tonight in a little bit longer. The church that tolerates false teaching and corrupt morality will receive judgment. But those who hold fast to the true gospel will receive the ultimate reward. And that's my challenge tonight. It's easy to look at books like Revelation and just be overwhelmed with it. Man, this is so powerful. Four lessons thus far in just these churches. And it's applicable for every church and every generation. And again, there might be some in here that have given over to idolatry. Well, I don't actually bow down to some image. You know, I've said it many times before, but any, anything that takes the place of God is an idol. Even something like this can be an idol. Or the thing that's in your pocket. Wallet and phone. <laughs> it could be an idol. Oh, but Mike doesn't know where either is, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Oh, you found it. Okay, good. But those can become an idol because when we start putting those ahead of God and our relationship with God, and we're always, we, we, you know, we have to have it. I, I can't not have it. Any good thing can become a God thing. And the church that tolerates these false teachings and corrupt morality will receive judgment. So if you want to receive judgment, then go ahead and live like the world. Go ahead. Marry the world. Marry into the culture of the world and try to be a Christian. Go ahead. I'm encouraging you to do it, but you will receive judgment. (laughs) But if you want God's blessings, then hold fast to His Word and do what He's called us to do.